Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Rabbit. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Now, it, the federal election is coming and the whole raft of people who are standing is independence. And I'd suggest to Craig Kelly, he would have a little bit more to worry about than sonic weapons at a protest in Canberra. I'm joined today by uh, Georgia Steele, who is an independent candidate for the seat of Q's. And she's got a range of interesting things to talk about including her background, where things are at, and some of the controversial issues to do with the funding of her campaign. But that's enough from me. Georgia, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's great Absolute to be here. Absolute pleasure. Now, before we get into you know, your reason for being as a candidate and other issues that we've heard about uh, in the context of independence... There will be people around the country or people who pick this podcast up who've got absolutely no idea who you are. What would your career look like if you had to sum it up on the back of an envelope? Well, um, the first thing that I would put on the back of that envelope is a a long time at university. I had a a long degree, uh, including a stint studying overseas. I then went straight into private practice in a law firm. And I stayed there both in Sydney and London for about 10 years. Um, And I was a corporate litigator. After that, I moved into a big four bank and worked as a corporate litigator within the bank. So that's 15 years that I've been practicing corporate litigation. Um, I then moved on to do a little bit more study and decided that I would take the leap to becoming a political candidate. Let me take you back to the, to the, to the, of your time in private practice and in banking. Mm. What cultural change did you sense when you moved from a legal practice to being sort of in-house counsel? Mm. That's an interesting question. There is a very different culture between mm-hmm. uh, the private practice of law and um, working in a corporation. I actually found working in a corporation to be far friendlier on the individual. You know, I moved from private practice into an in-house role after I had children, which is a very common change to make because the hours are friendlier. (laughs) It's really as simple as that. Uh, To have gone on in a career in private practice would have meant trying to gain partnership in that practice at the the point of the career that I was at. And it um, was a style of work that I wasn't willing to continue with. And so was the corporate environment more conducive to to the the work-life balance issue? Yes. Okay. Yes, in a word, very much so. The hours um, that are expected of you are nowhere near the hours that are expected of you in private practice. Okay. Now, why are you, having had, having the background that you've got, mm-hmm. why are you taking the dive into federal politics? Well, I have always been an avid watcher of federal politics. I spent, I suppose, what could be called my formative years of high school and university living in Canberra, actually. And politics is obviously in the water there, federal politics. Uh, (laughs) I also have recently undergone a transition in my career. You know, I finished my corporate law career and and went on to do a little bit more study. Um, And during that time, I, you know, had the time and space to 
watch politics even more closely than I ever had before and to think about it more carefully. And uh, I became increasingly exasperated, increasingly angry, actually, lots of yelling at the television during the evening news about the state of politics in our country and about what wasn't being done as I saw it. And it came to a point where I uh, thought, particularly in relation to the issue of action on climate change, I felt as though I couldn't sit back any longer. When I uh, had the skills to be a federal parliamentarian, I felt like I could give an election campaign a really good go uh, and so many other people can't do it. So I decided that I would step up, take the challenge. You mentioned climate change, which I think it's, that's one of the, the key issues that unifies the cohort of, of independence around the country. Um, what matters to you about the climate change space? Um, the lack of action to turn around the destruction that we're causing to the environment. Um, I have two young children, they're eight and 10. Okay. And I watched with increasing alarm at what the science was telling us about climate change and what the federal government was not doing to address it. Um, we can see all around Australia that action's being taken in relation to climate change in different areas. The state governments are doing good work. Um, the private market is starting to do really good work. The Business Council of Australia is well on board. To me, the obstacle in relation to meaningful action on climate change was the federal government. And that's where I considered that the work really needs to be done and therefore where I could have the biggest impact. Okay, but it's not just about climate change, is it? For, no. But in your space, it's also, uh, if I go back to Simon Holmes, of course, address last week at the National Press Club, he spoke about climate change. He spoke about the issue of integrity. Now, mm -hmm. I suspect, correct me if I'm wrong, but the issues of integrity, also things that had you yelling at the television. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, I, I care about a lot of issues um, and I'm interested in uh, a lot of issues. I've been the type of person to uh, air my opinions my whole life and stand up when I think that something's not right. I've been one to march in protests um, and the like. And yes, the issue of integrity is one that I think is having an increasingly uh, negative impact on our democracy, actually, and that there are things that need to be done to fix it. What in I mean, when we use the term integrity, it's quite mm. broad. It's a, um, it's an, it's kind of a, a, a kind of a warm and fuzzy term. What specifically? gets, you know, in your crawl about the issue of you know, integrity? Is it, you know, the, the sports route scenario? Is it what bothers you the most? Um, there's a number of things, unsurprisingly. Yes, it's the rorts and scandals. It's the misuse of taxpayer dollars. Okay. Um, and... To fix, and I think there's a reasonably um, obvious way to fix that. It's been talked about for years. It was promised by the Liberal National Party before the last election, and that is to introduce a federal independent commission against corruption of some type. 
but that's only one aspect of, of what I think about when I talk about integrity. That's the anti-corruption aspect of it. But we yep. can talk about the other aspects of it, if you like. Uh, one of the things that has come up, and I, the, the, I'll accept the invitation, <laughs> one of the things that uh, has come up in discourse in recent times is you know, the issue of truth in political advertising. Yes. Um, and you've also got the kind of issues related to how campaigns are prosecuted. Yes. Uh, to what extent? To what extent does that matter to you? It matters greatly. I think there are a range of issues that need addressing in federal parliament that all come under this rubric of integrity, which is why it's actually a useful term. So there's the anti-corruption aspects of it, which we were talking about before, but there is also truth in political advertising, as well as reforms to donation, law, uh, sorry, to election laws, really. Um, one aspect of that is reform in the political donation space. So I think that we need to lower thresholds for political donations. And those are the thresholds which require both candidates and donors to disclose the donations to the AEC. I also think that there are rules that need to be changed around actual election campaigns. So I would like to see uh, caps on spending in political campaigns. I don't know where those, those caps should fall, but I don't think that we should be allowed to spend an unlimited amount of money campaigning in the lead up to an election as we currently are. Okay. Now, we've, we've mentioned climate, we've mentioned the issue of integrity. There's also the issue of equality that um, sits within... Okay, I guess you could almost call them the holy trinity of issues that, that, are, that are being uh, put on the table with the independents for the most part. They're, they're, mm. they're the key topics. Uh, I spoke about this uh, topic with Kate Ellis not so long ago, a former Labor Party MP. Um, you're looking at getting into Parliament. What are the things that you want to see in that environment in order for you to feel comfortable that, that the place is treating people correctly? Well, I think that the issue in federal parliament at the moment is a very basic one. And it's that in particular for women, there isn't, it is not a safe workplace. We've seen that over the last uh, 12 months or so in a lot of the revelations that have come out about federal parliament. Uh, and I think that the government should implement the recommendations from the Jenkins report. And that would go a long way to making federal parliament a safer workspace for women. Until we make it safe, we can't really um, hope to change the culture to make it more equal. The Jenkins report is one, one way in which this happens. Uh, the Labor Party has been an advocate for quotas in order to mm. bring the balance between genders uh, mm. much closer in, in Parliament, at least on their side. Are there other measures you'd like to see to get the, the gender mix um, happening a bit more equitably in the federal parliament? 
Well, um, you know, quotas can be a controversial thing to talk about, especially if you're talking about it in the context of the Liberal Party, where um, there is a wide range of views about this. Perhaps instead of quotas, we could start talking about targets. You know, perhaps the, the Liberal National Party could start setting uh, targets for gender numbers in Parliament. Um, but I think generally, if there are steps taken, like implementation of the Jenkins report, if parties other than the Labor Party start taking gender, the equality of gender in numbers seriously in Parliament, and if more women like me and the other women who are standing up as independents feel that they can do so, uh, then I think that things will improve. I'm optimistic in that regard. I don't think that things will properly improve until we have we start having closer to an equal number of women as what we have men in parliament. I mean, as you would know, Tom, at the moment, only 30% of women in the lower house in Australia, uh, sorry, only 30% of MPs in the lower house in Australia are women and only 20% within the Liberal National Government. So I, I, not much more needs to be said in relation to that. If we can't get those numbers up, then what hope do we have in introducing diversity in other aspects of our parliament? What happens, um, I mean, obviously, trying to get that, if you say, as you say, a target of some description in place mm. is one measure. Um, the other important aspect is how you change culture more broadly. Mm. Um, what role do you think the parliament has in in setting an example for the broader community? I think Parliament has a tremendous role in setting an example for the broader community. I mean, that's supposed to be a sacred place, that house on the hill. I think that they should be held to the same, if not higher standards than the, the general community. And the behaviour that we see in that place should be impeccable. Um, the scenes that we have seen coming out of that Parliament in the last several years are troubling. Um, a prime minister who turns his back on women who are speaking on the floor, uh, you know, Julia Banks, who, when leaving, when leaving the Liberal Party and giving a speech, uh, had all the men around her, up to half a dozen of them, just get up and leave right as she was talking. It's just, it's not setting the right example. It's not setting the right tone. And I just think that behaviour can be improved, just general behaviour, general manners. I might need to ask you about question time. Yes. If you walk, if you were to walk into the, the parliament, um, given the given the state of question time at the moment, what would you like to see happen? Well, I would like first of all for there to be changes in the rules around members no longer being heard. Um, there's too much debate being shut down at the moment. Um, that would be a very useful change. I don't know about you, Tom, but I've, I struggle to even watch question time in Parliament these days. I feel like it's um, a sideshow, theatre. There's um, nothing useful that gets done and there's no longer any useful debate. There's a bit of shouting at each other. There's um, debate being shut down. And then there are a series of Dorothy Dixons. I, I don't know how that is serving the Australian people. 
so that you'd like to see procedural changes to allow certain certain debates to take to take place when when uh, leave is sought to move away from standing orders for, for a discussion on the motion yes i mean i am not a politician or a parliamentarian so i'm not an expert in parliamentary procedure uh, but it is clear to me that something is not quite right in relation to the procedures that we have on the floor of parliament and that certain things do need to be changed We've touched on climate, integrity, and equality in terms of gender. Uh, the interesting thing with the cohort of you know, independence is where do you go to outside of those three, as I called them earlier, the, the, the holy trinity mm -hmm. of key topics? Um, what are the things that you you know, particularly want to pursue if you were to get into Parliament? In addition to the things that we've talked about already, the Holy Trinity, as you've called them, um, another one of my platforms is around supporting small businesses. And that's uh, a very localised issue in our electorate. Small businesses okay. are, um, some would say, the backbone of the economy that we have in Hughes. We also have a lot of teachers and healthcare workers. But I'm keen to do what I can to support small businesses, particularly in what's going to be a very long recovery from the pandemic. Okay. Um, I know that the situation has changed greatly in terms of how we respond to the pandemic and how governments respond to the pandemic. But I still think that small business has a long way to go and I'd like to make sure that they continue to be supported. Um, in Hughes, I also uh, have a particular interest and I think that the Hughes voters have a particular interest in the style of politician that they would like to see representing them. We've been represented by Craig Kelly for 12 years and I am uh, hoping to model a different kind of politician to, to what Craig Kelly has. And that's less to do with the policies that I have as um, the way that I will behave and the way that I will interact with my constituents. So I want to be uh, a real community representative. I want to be out in the community, getting to know as much of the community as I possibly can. I want people to feel like they can come to me, that I'm available to them, to help them. Uh, and I think that I know that Hughes voters are very receptive to that message because of what we have had in Hughes for the last decade plus. Let me take you to the, the sort of the campaigning that's going on at the moment, which you've commented on in Twitter. Uh, mm. This sort of takes the conversation to the harder edge. Um, the independence, at least the way I'm observing things from where I sit in my home office <laughs> monitoring mm -hmm. uh, you know, media coverage and, and then social media, etc. Um, have sparked just a little bit of interest from some of their um, detractors, particularly mm -hmm. on the issue of funding. Mm -hmm. now, you're clearly running in Hughes. Um, there is some money coming your way from Climate 200. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Can you do, walk, walk mm. me through it? Sure. 
Uh, so the majority of my fundraising, as you will have seen from the tweet that I think caught your attention last week, yes. has come from the community. Uh, I've raised over $250,000 now altogether uh, with you know, nearly 90% of that coming from individuals inside so two, what, and outside. 250,000? 250, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, the vast majority coming from individuals inside and outside Hughes, actually. Um, there are people from all over the country that we've been receiving donations from, I think, because they're pleased to see someone standing up against Craig Kelly. Um, as for Climate 200, Climate 200 has is a... Um, uh, now a well-known organisation set up for the purpose of supporting independent candidates, giving them the leg up that they otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, I think that the phrase that they often use is levelling the playing field for candidates who are running against the major machines that are the well-established political parties that we have. Okay. So knowing that, independent candidates like myself launch their campaigns, um, rally their volunteer troops, um, get their campaigns in a professional uh, state of affairs and then pick up the phone and say, hi, I'm a candidate. I'm an independent. I'm running on issues uh, that concern you also. Our values are aligned. I would like to talk about whether or not you might be interested in donating to my campaign. It's the same okay. approach that you would take to any donor who you think might be receptive to donating to your campaign you start a conversation with them. Um, I've done it dozens of times with people, uh, including Climate 200, and the approach has been the same. Climate, Climate 200 then ask you to apply for funding. Uh, and that involves a fairly straightforward application, as, as you would imagine. And yeah. they assess that application and then they decide whether or not to donate to your campaign. And that's the language that I think needs to be used when we talk about Climate 200's role in the current federal election. So it, it, From it, my point of view, they're a donor. Okay. So let, let, let me get this process straight mm. for people who are listening. Mm. Simon Holmes, the court and Climate 200, didn't just come along and say, here's a check. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, they mm. did not. Okay. They certainly but did it, not. So you've got, a, you've got a fill in a form. Yes. And right, what do you have to tell them? Oh, look, we don't need to go into the details of that. It, the, when I applied for the funding, it was quite a while ago. I couldn't tell you exactly the, the questions that I answered, but they're the same kinds of questions that you that you might answer in a telephone conversation with another donor. Okay. Um, they want to know about the professionalism of your campaign. They want to know that if they donated they would be donating in a person who is going to run a good campaign and who may have a chance of winning. It's like any person who wants to donate money to any cause. They don't give their money unless they think their money is going to be used wisely. Um, and it's no different with Climate 200. And Climate 200 also don't, you know, the, the timing is important, I think. My campaign was in the preparation stages for months, as you would imagine. Okay. Uh, I launched my campaign. I got um, some really great media coverage. The volunteers started coming on board. We started f forming a, a, a strong team. And when we really got going was when it was time to start talking 
to bigger donors because we thought that what we were doing might appeal to them at that stage. And sure enough, it did. What I'm, what I'm hearing is that you know, the, the Climate 200 guys have assessed an application, you get the money. Um, there's, no, there's no undertaking given on your part when you get the money um, to, to follow a particular line of policy or whatever else. It's... Absolutely not. There is no request from Climate 200. Okay. There is no implied or direct suggestion that my campaign should run a certain way or that I need to be focusing on certain things. There is nothing of the sort. The same as there has been nothing of the sort in relation to other donors who have donated similar amounts of money. Okay. You can understand why some people you know, sort of look at it, mm. even if they come from, if I can put it this way, there's a general cynicism about politics. Yes, absolutely. Um, would it be fair of me to observe that you in entering in the campaign and having to source funds from around the place to make sure you can run it well, mm are a victim of some of that cynicism? Yes, I, I believe so. Um, look, there is cynicism and there's this general feeling of ickiness around politics in Australia. We're at you know, record low levels of trust in relation to politicians. Mm -hmm. And in relation to political donations in particular, it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a taboo. People don't want to talk about it because of that feeling of ickiness. Um, and it all comes back in this loop about the integrity issues that we were talking about before. I think that in order to get people comfortable with the idea of the way that political campaigns are run, the fact that political campaigns need money to run well, we need to fix some of the issues that we were talking about before so that people have greater trust in the system and in the politicians who are running in election campaigns. Um, and then we might also just get more involvement of the everyday person in election campaigns um, and in democracy generally. But yes, there's an ickiness. That's why I'm keen to talk about it. That's why independents are trying to um, run on platforms of integrity and transparency, because it's a critical problem in our democracy and we're trying to address it. Aside from some of the media coverage, it's alleged the independents aren't as independent as they say they are. Mm. Has there been any, have you copped any sort of local um, uh, cynicism as you've been going around from some of the punters that's used? Um, you, you won't be surprised to hear, Tom, but when I speak to people on the ground, uh, we have a robust debate every now and then, but generally speaking, people are very, very welcoming and encouraging of my campaign. Where I cop it, of course, is on social media um, because people feel much freer to give their opinions in an unfiltered way, don't they, on social media? You, you, you would know that, obviously. So, yes, on social media, I there are a lot of 
accusations, I suppose, leveled at me, leveled at other independents that I've seen as well. Yeah. Um, depending on where the person is coming from, they will say things like, well, there's no such thing as a true independent. She's not a true independent. Look at her. She's a green. She wants action on climate change. She's obviously a green. She may as well run for the greens. Someone else will say, look at her. She's a corporate litigator. She's obviously a liberal. She's obviously a liberal stooge. Um, don't vote for her. It, it's just, it can't be real. She can't be a real independent. So everywhere from, you know, a, a green stooge to liberal light to labor light to get up candidate to communist, Tom, you name it, from one end of the political spectrum to the other, I've been called it. And I think it's because people are so used to the way that Australian democracy has run for the last several decades. And what I mean by that is that we've been run under a two-party system, that people feel the need to categorise independence in some way in order to understand them. And what I say in response to that is, have a look at my background, have a look at my history. I've never been a member of a political party. I've never even handed out how to vote cards for a political party. I have no connections to any of them whatsoever. It really shouldn't in 2022 be such an unbelievable concept that a professional woman who has the support of her community might stand up and have a go at running for, for federal parliament. But it is, a, it, is a, it is something that the media and some members of the broader public are having difficulty getting their heads around. Um, but what I say to that is, come and talk to me. I'm making myself very accessible. Look at my qualifications. Look at the issues that I'm running on and decide for yourself whether you think I would make a good representative in Hughes. Try and take ideology and party out of it because that's what I'm trying to do. There's something else that happens when you enter into the public sphere, which is what you've done. Um, there are some unwilling or perhaps willing conscripts that accompany you. Mm. Um, being family and friends, um, how are they seeing the the way in which um, the campaign is unfolding and the feedback that you're getting uh, from around the place, from media and others? I think it's safe to say that my family was alarmed when I told them that I thought it would be a good idea to run in a federal election no, because, of course... Family uh, will always be protective of you and okay. you know, they know what it means to put yourself out there into the public space, especially as a woman. But gotcha. since we, I first started talking about with them, they have become so supportive and also very heavily involved in my campaign because they've seen that we have quite a historic opportunity to do something that really, really matters and that can have quite an impact on the country, actually. And so I have family members who have uh, committed to working full-time on the campaign, and that is incredible. I have other, you know, volunteers from the community who are working full-time on the campaign. So it's, it's very encouraging, the support that you get from family and friends when you believe in something and when you work hard towards it. People, people come on board with that. How are they reacting to what you're getting on social media from some quarters? Uh, look, I think they react a little bit. Um, I think they can be a little bit more sensitive about it than I am sometimes. Um, okay. 
takes a lot of resilience, obviously. There has to be a lot of water, <laughs> water off the duck's back, so to speak. And yeah. um, it's something that I braced myself for when I decided to run. I knew it would come. There's good parts and bad parts to any job. And, yes, of course, my family are sometimes protective and sensitive about that. But, um, you know, we get over it and move on because there's too much work to do. I guess, you know, you've been generous with your time and we're coming closer to the end of the interview. Uh, Parliament offers a myriad of opportunities for you to sort of work within committees and look at uh, improving law. To what extent, well, leaving aside what we've spoken about in terms of the key, the key issues that are in people's minds in, in terms of the independence movement. What are the, you're, you've been a corporate lawyer, you've been a, a litigator. Um, would you like to be involved in helping sort of reform aspects of, of law in the corporate space? I think that that might end up being a natural fit. Eventually, I am open to all opportunities. But in the first instance, I will be a first, if elected, I'll be a first-term community independent candidate. And my priority will be the issues that I'm campaigning on and yeah. also my community, being a community representative. Now, where do people find your stuff online? You know, where do they find you, you online if they want to know more? They can find me at my website, which is probably the easiest place, www.georgiasteel.com.au. That's steel with an E. And, of course, I'm all over social media. Uh, and you've got, you've got a unique name for your campaign office, haven't you? <laughs> yes, we are. We're making the most of the puns available for the surname Steel. So we asked Facebook to come up with the best name for the campaign office. And one of our volunteers came up with the name, The Steelworks, which is a pun that works on many levels. Yeah. We also have in our campaign, The Steelmobile, which is my car, which has been wrapped with my name and branding as a lot of the independents have also done. So yes, there's, a, it's a, there's puns galore in my campaign, trying to keep it. Yeah. Entertaining if, as well. If there's a listener in Hughes, where, would, where do they find the office? Station Street, Angadine. Georgia right Steel. next to Grind Cafe. <laughs> Georgia, thank you so much for joining me. I've been talking to Georgia Steele, who's the candidate for Hughes, the independent candidate for Hughes. Don't be a stranger. We've got to do this again sometime. Thank you so much, Tom. It was really enjoyable. Lovely thank to chat. You.